What effect does grief have on us, individually, collectively, if we never let it out? This is Jews Talk Racial Justice with April and Tracy, a weekly show hosted by April Baskin and Tracy Guy Decker. In a complex world, change takes courage. Wholehearted relationships can keep us accountable. There's this um, case in Baltimore, Keith Davis Jr. And I, I got to be honest, I don't, I actually don't know all the details of Mr. Davis's um, situation, uh, but I know that he's been tried multiple times for the same crime, which is supposed to be, you know, that's like double jeopardy. It's specifically <laughs> outlawed in our legal code, but he just, they keep like somehow finding excuses to retry him. And there's a, there's a big campaign here that's been going on for years, free Keith Davis Jr. Um, and um, his case in particular is one of the reasons that our state's attorney, um, Marilyn Mosby, has been getting a, a lot of flack from activists. And last night, um, I came home from a friend's house and my husband was Am like- Am I correct to assume that this person is Black? He is indeed, yes. So is Marilyn Mosby, I should say, our, our state's attorney. Um, oh, what a comfort. <laughs> um. So it doesn't mean it. That doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean anything. Really no, much until it I means know, nothing. It means nothing until I know what. It, well, I mean, it actually does mean something, but I don't know if it's um, a, good, or bad, or unlikely neutral, yeah. depending upon where she is, where her analysis is, where her commitments are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I came home from a friend's house last night, and my husband was like, "Our listserv, people on our neighborhood listserv, like." They're like, somebody's knocking on door. Like, I don't, what is their problem? Like, just calm down. And so I looked at the email and somebody was like, a man, he's like six feet and he's like knocking on doors and talking about free somebody. Did anybody else get this? And like, they're like, bah! you know, black man's knocking on the door. I assume actually she didn't say black. I'm just assuming because yeah. she named his height. Um, and, um, and then somebody else was like, yes, they left this door knocker and it's a door knocker about Keith Davis Jr. And I was like, oh, like, clearly not paying attention because like I have, there are, there are Baltimore activists in my Twitter feed who's like, Twitter handle is free to Keith Davis. Like, this is like a big campaign in the city. And so I just wrote back and I was like, you know- Clearly not paying attention. You mean the the neighbors are clearly not neighbors, paying attention. The neighbors are clearly not paying attention to politics in the city. And so um, I, I wrote back- They to can the afford listener. not to apparently. Right. Right. So I wrote back to the listserv and I was like, this case is like a big deal. And it's been a travesty of justice from what I understand, which is admittedly is not much. Um, but it's, there's a, an active campaign um, that's been going on for years. And so you may or may not be swayed by what this gentleman has to say about the Keith Davis Jr. case, but there's nothing nefarious about it. It's like, he's just trying, you know, he's like, he's an activist. He's an advocate. That's it. Like, calm down. Like, Tell him to be on his way, but like, you don't need to be sending stuff to listserv about it, and um, and and uh, generating fear and fear, you know, yeah, fear and hysteria, yeah, yeah. It was just one of those moments that I was <sighs> shaking my head. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it, but it was um. 
somehow remarkable to me. But then later my husband came back and he said, I saw your answer. Thank you for doing that. I'm glad. Like he didn't know David Jr. either. He didn't know the story, but like he thought that I, he was glad that I did it in that way. That was just like, you know, grounded and clarifying. There's, it's, you know, like people come through all the time in the neighborhood with different advocacy things, you know, like save the bees, save the pollinators, like knock on the doors or specific candidates. Yeah. I mean, it's a little mm -hmm. in between uh, campaign season, but it's, it's starting to ramp up again. I mean, like door knocking is a thing still. It's just. And thank God for that, lest we become completely isolated. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't have anything further. I just was on my mind from last night. And in part, I think, because I, I think I told you on, on, even on the show that I'm reading, um, almost finished with, we do this till we free us. And, um, Kaba talks about campaigns like this for individual, um, people who are imprisoned, um, and, and talks about the sort of the balance between working to change the system, um, while also working to improve the lives of specific individuals and, and like finding right. that balance. And so mm -hmm. that when I read her, so she, in, in the book, she talks about a couple of specific campaigns she's been involved with. Um, and as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is like what some Baltimoreans do are doing or working on for, for Davis, for Keith Davis Jr. So that also kind of resonated. And we've talked about that book on the, on the show before that I was reading it anyway. So thank you for your clarity and insight and informing, validating those who listen, who care and are in the know and, and informing those who care and we're not in the know about these things. So thank you for that. Um, you know, uh, <sighs> I remember toward the end, toward the final stretch, I was informed of the impending wrongful execution of Troy Davis. And I'm reminded of that since the, since they share a last name. Um, and I'm just filled with sorrow. Yeah. Also, you know, I just, I just attended a, a healing weekend workshop uh, that focused on, uh, black liberation. And so I've just come out of a weekend of um, taking time to enjoy each other's company and also really take a long, hard look at racism and specifically focus on a core oppressor, buy and conquer strategy. And that, so, so such, it's incredibly liberatory and healing for us to do the necessary healing work we need to do to continue to reach for each other through the dissonance um, and have get increasing healing as well as accountability and capacity and capacity to lead effectively. And specifically at this workshop, we zeroed in around the myriad of ways that oppression shows up uh, in and among black folk uh, and 
between each other and within ourselves. Some of the quotes, and I would get into that specifically, but I actually think I want to save that for specifically Black affinity spaces. You mean the internalized stuff? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I support that. That feels like a wise thing. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of our listeners are amazing, and I would both love to be in conversation with them, and especially our Black listeners, but I'll save that for an affinity space yeah. because there may be also people who aren't friends who listen, and I don't want to share yeah. that. It's something that was said that really resonated for me, both with my Black identity as well as with my Jewish identity, was when the leader of this workshop said, self-hatred is our biggest obstacle to our freedom. She was speaking about it being a little over a year since the death of George Floyd, not to mention many, many others, but but specifically lifting up his memory and what what his the loss of his life, um, the tragedy of that, and the way um, it galvanized a movement, and it shouldn't have had to. Um, and she was taking time to talk with us about how we collectively together need to support each other in proactively making space to grieve, to grieve George Floyd's death, to grieve the deaths of others as black people, to grieve losses in our own families, in our own, um, with our own loved ones, losing our own loved ones. And she said, and it's just a quote I'm going to carry with me, not grieving your losses or not grieving losses makes you weak. Right? So we have to grieve our losses and we have had many. Oh, like for me as a black Jewish woman, let alone as a black native Jewish woman. <laughs> oh, it, oh, I could, you know, I could just start crying. I could just have a session <laughs> right now. Um, and <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Not grieving one's losses makes them weak. Not grieving your losses makes you weak. So we have to grieve our losses and we have had many. I was talking about this with my mom the other day. I forget the exact context, which maybe it will come to me because I think it's relevant. And I think we've mentioned this before, but it just can't be mentioned enough. Oh, I remember. My mother was in a conversation. She's a change agent and leader. She doesn't think of herself that way, but she is. She's like resistant to so I'll see who just does work in earnest and just likes to do it and fly under the radar. <laughs> so sorry that I'm talking about you on my podcast, mom. Love you. Um, and, you know, she was talking with a Muslim... I can't remember if he was Palestinian American or Muslim or just a, a Muslim leader in uh, an Arab heritage, Muslim leader in 
uh, in Northern California who asked her, you know, can you explain to me, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to get a better sense of what's happening uh, in Israel from a Jewish perspective, from somebody I respect and trust. That was the context for it, which is a whole other conversation, which I'm not going to fully dive into. Um, but, well, it was fascinating, but one of the things that she noticed in her conversation with this respected leader was that, and colleague with whom she works, was that she took time in the conversation to explain um, a Jewish terror that exists, not for every Jew, but that, but explaining what a small number, what a small teeny less than zero percentage, like less than 1%, less than 1% of the human population. And um, that combined with the extensive um, anti-Semitism that I may reach out to my friends who facilitated a session on this that was really quite beautiful a couple of years ago. And I think I've, but it's worth, it's worth mentioning again. I think I might've mentioned it on the podcast before where I think it was for the Jewish social justice Roundtable, and a group of leaders were using the large meeting room at the Pearlstone retreat center. And they put placards on the wall of incidents of anti-Semitism over history. And then starting in around the time that racism in the Americas picked up, they also would put either, I think it was above it, above it or below it, placards about moments of racism and asked the predominantly white Jewish room to practice going around and being present with these things. And then as the points of racism began to come up to practice holding both, to see both, to not engage in competition, but to see it collectively and to not allow themselves to engage in a process of separation in their mind or uh, mind or distancing, but to remain proximate with both things. And, you know, for me as a Jew of color that I, I live that, like that's my whole life. So that, that wasn't the agitation, pr um, productive agitation for me of that exercise. What it was for me is that it's always been like footnoted the, uh, around the narrative around all the different countries that Jews have been banished from. But I had never, let alone in a room and walking it, I had, uh, there were countries that I didn't, and I'm someone who is mildly, maybe not so mildly, obsessed with global Jewry, okay? There were countries I didn't even know Jews had lived in where Jews had been expelled and or murdered, right? And, and so I'm getting way off track into a different thing, and I want to bring it back to this Black liberation piece, but all of that to say Jews have, as a global people, have an immense amount to grieve and different people from different parts of the world, depending upon their specific national uh, origin or regional uh, origin uh, may have more or less, but from a perspective of peoplehood, 
of being a part of a people over the globe worldwide. Um, I like the thoughts that stayed in my mind or that came out of looking at that is like, no wonder this is in our bones. Was my thought like like this my identity as a human would have been very different if I knew just how many places mm-hmm. my people had been hurt or hated uh, um, worldwide. Like anytime I'd had a geography lesson, anytime I learned about international, like you know, um, and and so. This is an endless well, and I, I, I think I'm just flagging this as something for us as a pair and as a partnership to continue to return to, because I'd never heard that said before, and I believe there's a lot of truth in what this Black Liberation teacher was teaching. I think I can say her name, but I want to check in. The teacher often from whom I learn in this healing space, she has a public persona, and so I want to be mindful about that. But if later, if we're if if I verify that it's okay for me to cite her, I'll we'll add her name in the show notes. But um, just for me, for every facet of my identity, and I think for us collectively, even if we think about this, like I just I just we kind of stumbled upon this, and so maybe we can revisit it later. But even for the country, like I just want to read it again and think about this in the context of the United States. And what our country has been through around the wars, around genocide, uh, uh, attempted genocide of indigenous peoples, around enslavement and the the holistic dehumanization that did for everyone involved. Not grieving your losses makes you weak. We have to grieve our losses, and we have had many. Any final thoughts before we join our team in a team meeting, Tracy? I am looking forward to coming back to it because I think that some of the insights that you were just lifting up and and making um, feel really relevant to some of the public arguments about how we talk about American history. They're happening right now Mm. um, in legislatures and in the Twitterverse and whatever. It It just feels really, really resonant to me with the ways in which we're so we're so unsure of how to and and troubled by our history that we're actually afraid to teach it, and that right feels really relevant to to the to what you just said about not grieving losses making us weak. So stay tuned, beloved friend, for part two of this conversation with Tracy and me. Thanks for tuning in. Our show's theme music was composed by Elliot Hammer. You can find this track and other beats on Instagram at Elliot Hammer. If this episode resonated with you, please share it and subscribe. To join the conversation, visit JewsTalkRacialJustice.com, where you can send us a question or suggestion, access our show notes, and learn more about our team. Take care until next time and stay humble and keep going.